we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello, friends. You're listening to the Nonsense Bazaar. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. Hello, Willow. Hi. How you doing? I'm okay. Yeah? Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm doing well. <laughs> That's excellent. Re- I repotted an orchid last night. Uh-huh. Plants are weird. Plants are very weird. Plants are super, like... And they're living, too. They're thinking and breathing and feeling. Yeah. Just like people. You gotta pay attention to them, and they, I mean, they change the space. Could you imagine, like... It'd be so cool to have like a, a room in your house that was a greenhouse. Yes, I would love to have a greenhouse. Not e- even in my house, but just like outside to grow um, leafy greens in. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> God damn it. Fucking nerd. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> what if your entire house. You got it? House... I'm talking about weed. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Okay, because I'm so I'm sorry, go on. What if your entire house was a greenhouse? It'd be hot. What if your entire house was a monstrous castle of pyramids and domes that were all greenhouses and you had to live in there with seven other fucking nerds and you couldn't leave for two years? Like, sounds pretty good to me, actually. Okay. Sounds kinda like how my quarantine is going. Yeah. Minus the seven people, just one. Yeah, and like the the castle, the large expanse. Oh, no, I have that. Oh, can, can I come over sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's closed Shit. to the God public. It. It's it's closed to gross losers. And well, so anyway. God, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm feeling feisty no, today. Jesus. That was good. You got me, though. Yeah, gross loser. <laughs> it's a really, really deep cut there. <laughs> Get to the heart of a man. <laughs> Ah, okay. Okay, so right. so what if? Yeah, well, it sounds like you'd actually, you would have been a perfect candidate for this incredibly ridiculous thing that happened back Listen, in the 90s. I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm, I'm gonna, talking about? I'm going to stop pretending that I don't. Are I you know, breaking the fourth wall? I know you're talking about the biosphere, too. Um, and, yep. oh, God, I wish so badly that I could have been a part of it. It was made for someone like me. It definitely was. And nice. for you, you too. I could see you do, mm, well. I'd like go crazy and. You'd I'd, be okay for a day and then you'd be like, I need to be out. Or I'd turn into a fucking Morlock and down in like the, uh, like the, the, the mechanical innards of the thing. Like I'd, I'd build some weird like computer castle outpost in the basement mm-hmm. and lose my ability to see in daylight. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be in the underground biosphere. I'd become a legend. The cave sphere. Yeah. All right. So, anyway. So biosphere. Biosphere two. Yeah. That's very important. Um, wh- what's biosphere one? Biosphere one is our planet Earth. Oh, my gosh. It's the biosphere we live in. That's true. It's the... That is true. It's, it's a sphere it's full a sphere. of biology. Yes. Biological things. And it it's a it's a closed self-regulating system. Yes. You see, it... it it's a system that works perfectly as an emergent property. Mm-hmm. And You're born and all you'd need to survive is here on Earth. Yeah. And that's what these people were trying to create with Biosphere 2. What was Biosphere 2? Biosphere 2 is a structure 
deep in the Arizona desert, which looks straight out of one of the earlier optimistic visions of humanity's future. A series of interconnected geometric shapes, geodesic domes, pyramids, cubes, covering roughly three acres. Inside are a series of different greenhouse environments designed as facsimiles of Earth's natural biomes. A desert, an ocean, a savanna, a rainforest. This is Biosphere 2. Built to study the self-regulation of closed biological systems and pave the way for humanity to complete its great work of spreading life among the stars by bringing together such varied disciplines as ecology, architecture, psychology, and musical theater. At the zenith of this project, Biosphere 2 housed 3,800 different species of plants, animals, and insects. They were trying to start a new civilization where humans and nature lived in a harmony that enhanced each other to save us from the meat grinder of Western consumerism and envision how humanity could live into the far future off Earth. And this was in the early 90s when like Star Trek, like the next generation was fucking going ham and everybody was all about, you know, these really optimistic visions of the future of space travel mm -hmm. and shit Although, and not just like apocalyptic ha nightmare. Having to leave Earth and go beyond another planet is... It's not terribly optimistic. It happened, though. I know. Listen, I know. A couple million but... years. This this place is eaten uh, up by the sun. I'm Maybe hoping billion, that the next spheres. the next yeah. evolution of humans is like no more bodies. Like, because then half of the things that we suffer because of are just going to be taken away. Like the fight for food, water, housing, blah blah blah. No body, no problem. That's what I always say. There's a there's a comet coming by soon. You might be able to hitch a ride on that. <laughs> I hope so. Catch me in my black Nike sneakers. <laughs> so if if you've ever heard of Biosphere 2 before, you've heard that in 1991, eight people sealed themselves inside of the airtight greenhouse for two years with the goal of surviving with only the bounty that their terrarium would provide them. A series of problems with the experiment turned the media against Biosphere 2, and during the course of the experiment, Biosphere 2 went from being spoken of as humanity's last great hope to a laughingstock, a blow to the reputation of the experiment and those involved from which they would never recover. But this story is a lot more than that. Biosphere 2 is, depending on who you ask, the most ambitious and ingenious step forward in humanity's relationship with planet Earth in recent memory, squashed by the evils of capitalism and a world that just fucking wasn't groovy enough. Or... It's a monument to hubris, pathological group dynamics, hippie eco-cults, and the brand of narcissism inherent in those particularly American spiritual traditions of new thought and the new age. And it might be both. I was going to say, but what if it's a little bit of both? It might, it might I, be yeah. both. And this story, it's got a bit of everything. Esotericism, climate science, NASA, humanity's role in the larger organism known as Mother Nature or life itself, shadowy Texas billionaires. It's got cult shit, and actually might be the only cult story where nothing really bad happens. Right, and they're not <laughs> even like... Uh, they're not a cult. They're not there's a cult even. There's just yeah. some cult there's shit. There's some culty there's aspects to it. There's just some cult it. shit. But also, I think it's important to note that when they began, they knew they were going to fail. And that's why yeah. I think inviting the media in to sort of observe was... Uh, was I know that they had to make money to support what they were doing. But when you have all those eyes on you that are waiting to see what happens, there's certainly a lot of eyes that are, you know anticipating failure yeah because that's interesting you well, know yeah we'll, we'll get to the media stuff because that plays a big part like that's i think a really... so too and i think it was very unfair of the media to ever paint the events that took place in the beginning as sort of a failure of the project i won't mention anything now specifically yeah i mean i do also think that these some of the criticisms levied at them were completely fucking yeah. deserved. Yeah, I'm talking more about like in the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. What else does this have? It's got a homemade sailing ship named Heraclitus. Heraclitus, actually. Heraclitus. Um. That well, that's my head cannon for okay. it. 
It's Heraclitus. It's Heraclitus. It's, it's RV Heraclitus. It's got dumb 1970s sober hippie performance art. And fucking Steve Bannon shows up in the third act in a big way. It's fucking ridiculous. You know, whoever expected it. At this point, we should probably start learning to expect Steve Bannon a little bit more. He's gonna show up. This is also gonna be your first two-parter because I want to take a look at some of the stuff that gets left out of basically every modern retelling of this it story. It needs it. Yeah. It really needs the full fleshing out. There's been a couple documentaries about it. One that I watched. One that you watched. It's uh, called Spaceship Earth on Hulu, if you have that. I wonder if that was one of the ones that was like funded by the Ecotechnics Institute. Because that seems to be a, a, a thing nowadays with like a lot of the stuff that gets made about them it's paid for by the ecotechnics institute which is their uh group or john allen's group well we will cover the two-year-long mission mission one and the ill-fated follow-up mission mission two which lasts for only a few months other people have told that story before the other thing is that most documentaries they only tell one side of the story the side of the story they tell happens to be the one that's most kind to the man in charge the so-called genius john allen aka johnny dolphin and his second in command margaret augustine aka firefly this is either because the documentaries they are all funded. Have, sorry, yeah, sorry they, to interrupt yeah. you. We gotta go through some of the nicknames at some point. Oh yeah, because there's so yeah, many yeah. Ones. yeah, Johnny Dolphin. Johnny Dolphin. Johnny Dolphin dude. isn't even like the funniest one, not by far. I, I like it. So. I'm, I, I think it's fine. That's it's funny. I get a chuckle. You all get right. a chuckle. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Please. Anyway, this is either because the documentaries were funded by the Ecotechnics Institute headed by Alan and Augustine, or because, as one source alludes to, Alan and Augustine are pretty quick to start whipping out lawsuits left and right if you so much as say the word commune. So oh, full God. Dis- oh, yeah. So full disclosure. Oh, God. Not a commune. They, Synergia Ranch, definitely a commune. Well, but we can't say that. Oh, I'm going to get right in there. I'm going to <laughs> All right, we're just going to so, say it. Full disclosure, I really, really like and respect most of the people in this story. I respect their commitment to ecology, their, un- their desire to understand their place within the environment, and their commitment to furthering progress in line with a spirit of harmony with the planet. I also think that they would have been remembered much differently if they had thrown Johnny Dolphin and Firefly into the sea. That's mm-hmm. basically my, my take on this. But to understand Biosphere 2 and what any of this means, we got to go back to the story of John Allen and his commune, Synergia Ranch. So we're going to take a trip back in time to the 1930s. That's my time travel noise. Okay, we're back. That's a good time travel noise. Yeah. We're in the 1930s. We're in Oklahoma. Wait, okay. What's some 1930? Okay. Oklahoma, 1930s, and we're doing our thing. Yeah. Yeah. Was that Dust Bowl time? <laughs> There's dust <laughs> in our dust eyes. Yeah. And blah, 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 blah. Born in, doesn't say when in the 19th, just the 1930s, in Oklahoma, John P. Allen was an American specimen of a man. Broad-shouldered and quick-witted, he was a star athlete and high school valedictorian. After high school, Allen first got a bachelor's in engineering at the Colorado School of Mines, where he was also the student body president. Colorado School of Mimes? No, mines isn't digging, but I wouldn't be surprised. Well, why would he get an engineering at a school of mines? Is that a thing? Yeah, you got to engineer. Is it like the... clown college, but for mines? If you want to be a miner, <laughs> I don't know, college of mines? Like yeah. it just doesn't make sense to me. That's a whole thing. Like mining's a. Mining's... It's a big industry. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You okay. digging holes in the fucking ground? You got to well, engineer clown, that shit. Clowning is a big industry too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, in a lot of ways, it is like a clown college for miners. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm it's sorry, ve- miners. It's very different than mime school, though. <laughs> oh, God. All the miners and uh, the miners, the under 18 miners. And the mimes. Yeah, and the mimes. 
Anyway, he left the mime school. And <laughs> he enrolled in Harvard Business School and he graduated at the top of his class with high distinction. It was there they encountered the ideas of Buckminster Fuller, who came up with the geodesic dome, and the writings of W.R. Bion, a British psychologist who studied group behavior during World War II. This interest in group psychology would prove to be one of the most defining pieces of Allen's philosophical jigsaw puzzle. Well, now, damn. Yeah. He's pretty good at it, too. Yeah, very fucking good at it. So this dude, like, throughout this, going to these different schools, and I mean, I don't, apart from, like, the the source book I read, which is called Dreaming the Biosphere by Rebecca Ryder, I don't know where this comes from. This could come from his fucking autobiographies or his fucking fictionalized autobiographies, because yeah. there's, like, a lot packed in these years, but as we see later, these fuckers do a lot of shit. Uh-huh. So... I mean, I imagine any information about his life has come from him mm-hmm. as the source about his life. Yeah, between... These academic stints, uh, he did a lot of other stuff, too. He wanted to see more of the world besides academia, so he became a fruit farmer in Washington State. He worked as What a, kind of fruit? No idea. Oh, fuck. He worked as a leftist labor organizer in Chicago. He joined the Army Corps of Engineers, made mining discoveries, and finally turned into a young businessman working on international mining development projects in Iran and the Ivory Coast. The entire time, collecting ideas and scenes as fuel for his other passion, playwriting. Nice. He, ment- he mentored under the businessman David Lilenthal, who is credited with creating the first multinational corporation. And one day at the age of 32, John Allen sat in his office in a New York high-rise and realized that he couldn't open his window for fresh air. And he understood that something was dreadfully wrong. Looking out his window, he saw a Yugoslavian freight ship headed oh, for North fuck. Africa. That's and never so good. he left, to quote John Allen. Those are all gorgeous windows in my shining skyscraper, giving me million-dollar views of the world's splendid traffic. But I can't open them to smell the fresh air or hike barefoot along an open road, or, worst of all, walk away from a pompous power holder. Get me out of here! I knew what I had to do next. Get on the next Yugoslav freighter headed east to Tangiers. I had people to see and places to go where I had not the slightest idea what would happen next. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Wouldn't we all love to be independently wealthy enough yeah, to do sick. that? <laughs> Just uh, be like, hey, I'm going to hop honestly, on that ship and go. Dude, it reminds me of like L. Ron Hubbard. Like his bullshit. Like yeah. his like fantastic tales of uh-huh. way too much detail and shit. Right, um, right. He, according to this story he left for morocco and hitchhiked across africa just like that he like yeah. quit his job yeah he just left like, okay. he just he just had to get out of there you know you understand he just he just had to get out of there mm-hmm. so he booked the next yugoslav fucking freighter <laughs> he said he, he studied with yogis and llamas where that's, that's, on the freighter <laughs> no in <laughs> india chilling out on the ship in india and tibet oh of course um, he traveled all around oh and, yeah he and just, all of the you know most stoic monks just invited him in and said come and learn from us we'll tell you all of our yeah of course because yeah. he's just so cool he's just a, mm-hmm. he's just a genius you know yeah. uh, in india john met marie harding a fellow seeker and traveler who was working as a nurse in a field hospital and when they met again in vietnam they got married what was her name again marie harding nice yeah it's the name of a Good, strong woman. That is, that is a, that is a yeah. strapping lass. Uh, just so, sort of like, I don't know. If all this shit's Drew, he's kind of cool. Cool, but annoying, you know? Yeah, well, it's like anyone that, like, gives you a whole spiel about their travel journeys. And yeah. I went here, and I did this, and I'm like, cool, I'm poor. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's nice, but it just... It comes off a little bit braggy. Yeah. I went here and I did that. And, you know, I'd love to be happy for you, but I'm bitter. So, you know, even if he was like a cool guy or whatever, uh, there's there's all too often a certain terrible force that brings down even the baddest of motherfuckers. Playwriting. In the year of our Lord, 1967, John and Marie moved to San Francisco. He wrote in a semi-autobiographical novel, Liberated Space. 
He wrote, what? Here are 20,000 Americans setting up a cosmic continuity with their bodies and minds in hate Ashbury. That's right. John fell for the hippies and their bullshit, and he fell for a hook, line, fucking sinker. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he went to San Francisco, and then he met a woman named Kathleen Gray, an actress who would later be known as Honey, and would sit alongside Marie Harding on the board of directors of Biosphere 2. John poetically describes their meeting in his novel. I dance, but I want to do theater, she said. I travel, but I want to write theater. We stopped to gaze into each other's eyes, my trading God. energies and enigmas. Ugh. She would be the first member of my Karas, that circle of beings that recur throughout the generations, all of Oy. whom it is necessary to meet and connect with for an individual to accomplish destiny in his lifetime. Oy. I knew myself well enough to know the discovery of my Karas had to be my next step. So they started an experimental theater company and a sandwich shop to pay the bills. Oh, God. Yeah. That's so, like, yep. I'm sorry. That's so, like, oh, I just knew that yep. her and I had met in many other life incarnations, yep. and here we were again, and now we're going to do the thing that we were born to do. Like, theater. I mean, like, I get it. I mean, <laughs> like, same. But do you have to be so, like, annoying about it? Exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> um, do you have to be so melodramatic about it and self important about it? Yeah, straight up. I like I, I hate it so much. Have some be, be a little bit more humble, Mr. Allen. Have some fucking class, Mr. Dolphin. Mr. Have some fucking class, Johnny Dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> so they they had a group of around twenty people, and they did experimental performance theater in San Francisco and New the, York. The theater of all possibilities. They actually didn't name it that yet. They didn't ah, come up with that banger of a name. It's not so later. Soon, very soon. To quote the book, "Dreaming the Biosphere." Soon the group's modest goal emerged, to draw on the best of world civilizations and create something new. Every week, friends gathered at night to hear John lecture on metaphysics, history, and world cultures. Oh my god. Yeah, dude. Oh. Because... Why? <laughs> Those are some good friends. Seriously. The guests came in costume according to the time period or theme of the evening. One week they were living in the Wild West, the next week in Elizabethan England or ancient Greece. Okay, I love this. I love a good costume party, so okay. I, my mind is... Now you're, I'm going back and forth. Okay. I'm like, I love this guy. I hate this guy. Okay. I love this guy. Right on, right on. Other times, Alan gave rambling, excited lectures describing his far-out visions of the future. Yes. His wife, Marie, recalled him hearing him describe an undersea civilization, while another attendee, Randall Gibson, remembered him giving a talk called Psychokinetic City. Yet, talking and acting on stage were still not enough. The restless ringleader was already eyeing his next challenge. It was to act in real life, bringing together all he and his friends had learned. And so, in late 1969, a bigger drama began. The actors and friends pulled up their roots and crossed the continent once again. This time, they headed out to the high desert of northern New Mexico outside of Santa Fe to begin a new life together on the land. So, that's a cult. That's just a fucking cult. Yeah. You know? I mean, so, the thing, as I was watching the documentary, which is pretty much the extent of content that I know about this, so mine is a lot more limited than Sequoia's, who's actually, like, read the book and et cetera, et cetera. In the documentary, I kept going back on and forth about like, is this a cult? Is this not a cult? What's culty about this? And um, the thing that really struck me as super culty is the fact that like everyone had nicknames, which mm -hmm. is one of the major markers of, you know, trying to separate people from their old identity is to yep. give them a new name. Yep. And I thought like, mm, okay, that's a little sus. Yep. Absolutely. That's yeah. one of the fucking, that's one of the giveaways, man. Like, I think it's cool for people to, I have no issue with communes or intentional living, sustainable no. living. I think that that's 
awesome. And I think that people can totally, you know, have a commune or have a piece of land where people sort of come and go and tend to the land without that being culty and without there being any centralized leader or ideology. No, but this is a little different. Yeah. I, I, I agree entirely. Like, I think that one of the things that pisses me off about cult so much is that they they do prey on people who have a, a genuine desire to do something a little more tangible and to change with themselves the world. and to change the yeah and absolutely. to make an impact and i you think know? that like, you want people that want to be part of the story of history and you those are the people that i think are unfortunately not gullible but maybe most naive because they're so eager to do something good yeah yeah they're hopeful um mm-hmm. and when you're hopeful you can perhaps be taken advantage of because you have faith and now like it, it also needs to be said that like no one throughout any of the story no one was ever stopped from leaving or anything like that right. that part does not exist that's the thing this. too that's also the part that confused me i was yeah. like okay it's kind of culty because everyone needs like has a nickname it's not a cult um but johnny but appleseed it, johnny, johnny fucking dolphin johnny appleseed uh, could, dolphin. could have totally been a cult leader like he has right. that personality you know but People could leave anytime they wanted. Yeah. It's not like they were forced to be there. Nope, it's not like they had there. to, you know. And they cared. Tell you know, give him all of their income. And they had a belongings. great time too. Like I'm just making yeah. fun of this guy, but like people look back on this time very fucking fondly. But mm-hmm. you know, Johnny Appleseed got a taste of hippie bullshit, turned into Johnny Dolphin, and started a desert cult. It's story as old as time. <laughs> old as time. Synergia Ranch, as they called their their farm. It was 165 acres of brown overgrazed and arid land built in late 1969 after Marie Harding cashed in her $15,000 inheritance for a down payment. This will be a theme. Not a very big inheritance. 1969, dog. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah it's true. pretty big. True. Uh, I have no sense of time. No. All right, inflation. <laughs> <laughs> but this piece of brown bullshit became a uh, home for the hyperactive group of seekers it's not a nice also, thing to call the land yeah, it was you know it was overgrazed it was the soil was poor it was yeah. you know but they revived it they did yeah. uh the synergia ranch quickly grew a word spread amongst the members friends and acquaintances randall gibson who showed up at the ranch in 1970 says uh Quote, we had not defined anything except there was theater, there was philosophy, and people had to have an enterprise because we were broke. An enterprise, yeah. meaning like something to contribute. Yeah. So, you know, John Allen, uh, being the genius and businessman, as well as farmer, yogi, philosopher, playwright, et cetera, et cetera, you get the point. He set up the economic system of Synergia Ranch. Right? No. So, uh, okay, I'm sorry again to interrupt, but they were just as much of a cult as any business is i believe when we're talking about what a what a cult is oh yeah you'll see you'll see a lot of this stuff yeah, in, like tech startups and shit absolutely absolutely like cuz when you look at a business structure it's very much like a pyramid and so is any sort of like cult structure and there's someone at the top and then there's people that are more powerful than everyone underneath that's kind of just how a business is ran and the fucked up thing is though that like john allen always tried to say that it wasn't like that like every, right. like it was all equal and shit but like it just like fucking wasn't like you said wasn't. he was part of like the leftist laborers yeah. whatever yeah yeah he was a leftist um, labor organizer and I'm yet sure. this whole structure he kind of places himself at the very tippy top of this sort of capitalist venture all while denying is, that he is yeah he never had an because, official position you know oh i'm too goofy and we do all these right. wacky theater things and we're just performing we're yeah. just performing but it's also true that in order to make a good living in our society you kind of do have to bow to the economic system that is in place yeah. And maybe that's just what he was doing. But well, here's the thing. I think that the 
the thing that I, the thing that differentiates Synergia Ranch from like all the other communes at the time though is that they survived. Like they not only survived but they thrived and turned into fucking Biosphere Two. They built a goddamn ship. Very true. You know, very successful. That's like so many cults. They enjoyed are, are not, it. So many communes just fizzled out in the seventies. Yeah. Like that was a booming time for communes. They didn't do drugs. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They didn't do any drugs. So it was just people that were there because they really wanted to be yeah. and they had a goal and, and they, they wanted ethic. to fulfill it. I mean, it wasn't just like an acid dream of like, yeah. oh, I want to, you know. This is theater um, people. Yeah. They have a lot of energy. They're going to fake it till they make it too. Mm-hmm. And they kind of did, <laughs> actually. Okay. So the way it worked was everyone had to pay $45 a month for room and board, which is roughly $300 a month adjusted for inflation. Not very much. Work four hours a day on projects for the ranch. And work four hours a day on his or her own business. Each member of the ranch had to have their own profession or business to support themselves. They also paid 10% of their earnings, which went to paying for the ranch land, buying food for communal dinners in the dining hall, and expanding the ranch to include a garden and an orchard, a a barnyard full of pigs, cattle and chickens, and more buildings to house the flow of new arrivals. A bunch of people came from all these different backgrounds, education, economic sections of America. They were all there to do something new and something real do you have a number on how many people passed through or were there at one time i don't i don't before a couple dozen or well before they started the biosphere we're talking hundreds wow all over the world right yeah but i imagine like the traffic through would probably be like i don't know maybe 50 to 70 people at a time or less than that i mean slightly less than that but yeah i want to say like 30 to 40 yeah that's i think that's probably a good number with like guests and stuff at like the height of everything they were doing. Yeah, I mean, and like as I was saying earlier, like they weren't the only game in town. Um, oh no, there's, there's a dime a, a dozen of, yeah. of these types so of places. Historian Louis J. Kern described the mass movement towards communes at the tail end of the Vietnam War. Although today's communards are characterized by anomie and rootlessness, their alienation is that of a privileged class, upper middle upper. The children of prosperity, their revolt is grounded in disappointed expectations. American values, political and ethical, are hollow. Man in a materialist, technocratic consumer culture has lost touch with his ability to feel and respond spontaneously, and, perhaps most importantly, with his desire, his need for transcendence. I think that's, that's spot on. That's what you're looking for. Some, and it, they wrote that fucking about back then. I mean, it's even more now, true than ever yeah, right exactly. now, too. You know, everyone's seeking something greater than what is. But Synergia Ranch was different. It survived and it thrived. Um, and it was because of the business structure, but also, and because of the and no drugs. And because of the no drugs. Yep. But also, in no small part, to Alan's study of group psychology and his yeah, impressing... Yeah, I was going to say, his study at Harvard probably greatly contributed yeah, to the success. He really impressed the idea, uh, the importance of group psychology upon all the members of the group. He like made them study it, and he used the theater to do that. Uh, Synergia Ranch had a theater group named the Theater of All Possibilities. Mm-hmm. And this is where John Allen came to be known as Johnny Dolphin. Which Great is name, by name. the way. It really is. I really, I dig it. I really do. I love this theater stuff, too, because while I find theater annoying because I tried to get into it and it was very clicky and they wouldn't let me in their click because I didn't know them. (laughs) I find the concept of like theater and performance art, performance art in particular, like really, really fascinating because I do feel like life is kind of just a great performance. We're all performing different roles and... You know, you can really make this stuff fun if you want to. Oh, yeah. And I think what he was doing and what um, the other people in the theater of all possibilities were doing is figuring out a different way of understanding and interacting with life and just like making it a little bit more malleable, a little bit more fun. 
And it was a, a it acted as like a pressure release valve too. So yes. they um they would like imagine different scenarios and how to play those out. They would act out interpersonal conflicts. They poked fun at each other and themselves and the work they were doing. And it, it really seems to have been an important out- outlet. Mm-hmm. It really seems to have been an important outlet and means by which the group maintained cohesion. This fixation on on possibilities and theater would continue and it could be argued eventually undermine the work and meaning that they also desperately craved. Because despite their examination of their own darker psychology and despite seeming inoculation from the transience that befalls the vast majority of communal living experiment, Synergia Ranch still had some of those telltale features of communes that makes me instantly nope the fuck out of there. Lawrence Versi, an anthropologist researching the American communal living phenomenon, visited Synergia for five weeks in 1971. The word commune is never heard around here, except as an unfavorable epithet, he, for it implies the disorder and lack of conscious planning and effort, yeah, people which really this community rejects. Yeah, people hated communism, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, just, they're just good Americans. Yeah. Vasey paraphrases the philosophy that John Allen preached. He wrote, Western civilization isn't simply dying, it's dead. We are <laughs> probing into its ruins to take whatever is useful for the building of the new civilization to replace it. This new civilization will be planetary. The whole earth will be our home. We are no longer Americans or Westerners, even though as individuals we were once trained in that tradition. We will build a series of centers in various parts of the world to demonstrate this new way of life. This ranch is merely our first training ground. Wow. Yeah, so big dreams. That's a bit ambitious. Big dreams, yeah. Yeah, that's very ambitious. Yeah. Um, Me personally, you know, for a while I had somewhat of that, like, chosen person syndrome that I think we all have in passing where we're like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to be a part of the history books and something needs to change and we're going to do it. And I'm just like, I'm I'm drinking play video games and fuck you. No, I realize, like, the best thing I can do is just care for the people that I can, care for myself, and do what I can to to make the world a better place in the small ways possible for me without yeah. like making myself responsible for the fate of the human race. Because yeah, fuck that. when you do, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of an impossible goal. One of the, uh, one of the ranch members, uh, Phil Hawes says, and quote, the search for truth was really important and the truth between the people. It was really important to be looking for the truth, whatever that might be, which is hard to find, but maybe that was part of the idea. Because like, while much of the work of the ranch was hard physical toil, a great deal of it was metaphysical too. Mm-hmm. There was twice a week meditation sessions, the nightly group silent dinners where afterwards Alan would call out for comments and observations from the group. Tuesday and Thursday dinners were special, however. Tuesdays featured learning about- You could talk. No, well- oh. They, they, they featured learning about world literature or culture, and everyone would read an assigned text wow. and then come to dinner dressed as a character from the text. How fun. Oh, wow. And on Thursdays, Johnny Dolphin would give special metaphysical talks. Isn't that fun? That is fun. <laughs> so, like, with the silent dinners where it's like, does anyone have any comments? I would be like, yeah, this bitch Linda is chewing so loudly. <laughs> like... <laughs> Did anyone else notice that? Did you notice that? <laughs> what do you mean? Call for comments, like just about anything, or I guess about so. like like opposite how the group was working, how things were getting along, okay. shit like I- I that. I thought like about dinner specifically. Like, like how were the beats? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that too. Dinner sounds fun. Yeah, and like in the metaphysical talks, uh, John Allen would teach the synergians that they would get in touch with their three centers, emotion, thought, and action. Then, and only then, would they be fully developed and balanced people capable of awakening. The idea of synergy was key to everything that happened at Synergy Iran and afterwards. Synergy is when things work together for something greater than the sum of its parts. But, like, are they really working together if there's one guy saying, like, I'm right, 
That's a good question. You know, I, are they working together or are yeah. they just like following this? You know, I hate a know-it-all. That's like yep. the, so annoying to me. Someone that's a know-it-all because nobody knows it all. Most people hardly know anything. Yeah. And it's way cooler when they just admit that. There's no one doctrine that people could follow in order to, quote unquote, achieve enlightenment i don't know it i've just... definitely been a fucking know-it-all at points in my life and that's like that's a part of me yeah, I'm I desperately trying to kill i still am but i i'm trying to like quiet it down and be like no 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 yeah, you don't know anything you're dumb <laughs> you're dumb too so to the to the the synergians johnny dolphin was a guru he was a guru of systems and through his guidance on mastering a synergistic relationship they would learn how to master a synergistic relationship with everything everything the synergians synergians did was based a priori on the axiom that, that there is this fundamental truth to systems in general that when you understand the system like you understand all the systems and you work in harmony with everything and this is something i agree with actually but it's not science it's like it's esotericism it's magic and john allen was simply another particularly effective and productive esoteric guru in a world and time period full of them and like many gurus, teachers, and self-styled geniuses before and after, John Allen had a fucking dark side. Jane Pointer, who was one of the eight people to eventually live for two years inside the Synergian's masterwork, the Biosphere 2, she says, and quote, he was one of those charismatic figures who could be so disarmingly charming, or as I came to learn, cut you down with a glance. His smooth face could explode with the enthusiasm of a kid at Christmas, or tighten into a sardonic glare that would have made Mephistopheles proud. Randomly at dinner, John Allen might decide to suddenly and fucking explosively attack anyone at the dinner table. Attack? Like, stab them? No, no, verbally. Publicly berating and humiliating them oh, for God. their fault, for any faults, real or imagined, like, while the rest of the members sat quietly. You know how, how you overcome stuff like that? Don't start a cult. No, you just, like, get turned on by it. Like, when someone's, like, yelling at you <laughs> and, like, berating you, you're just like, ooh, yeah, baby, like... Yeah. Whip it and reverse it. Yeah. Tell me how fucking stupid I am. <laughs> Ooh, did I mess up real bad earlier? Yeah. Ooh, I'm sorry, Daddy Dolphin. Daddy Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> According to some members, these public humiliations would sometimes last for hours. Like three Jesus hours. Christ. Yeah, dude. So, I would love to, like, th does he repeat material for different people? I don't do you know. Because <laughs> like, if you're going to insult me for hours, it better be some unique material. It better fucking like, be. You, gotta, you better you go know, deep on make that. Make it sting, okay? Make it really personal. Because if you're just, like, going to tell me the same thing that you told so-and-so yesterday. You're just wasting then, everybody's time. Yeah, really. Like, so? Do you even pay attention to me? Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That dude, uh, Lawrence Vasey, during his five-week stay at Synergia Ranch, he wrote about this habit John Allen had. Suddenly it might be anywhere. Allen will explode into wrath, usually directed at one person, calmly in control of himself one minute. In the next, he will be shouting the most hurtful words conceivable in a furious assault upon the ego of some trapped individual. He will seize upon what appears to be innocent failures to follow precise instructions and transform them into calculated acts of sabotage. He reiterates Ew. his accusations until no possible response is left. Then all at once, his tirade comes to an end. And everyone continues as if nothing had happened. That's so gross. It's so fucking gross, That's dude. That's so gross. It's so like, fucking gross. If someone did that to me, I would just, like, not give them a reaction. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd fucking leave. Like, you know? I uh, don't know. Like, because you said he'll do it when he perceives, like, a, someone that's not following his directions. Yeah. Or, like, was it? Because he's probably thinking, like, oh, you stupid idiot. You, you weren't listening to me because he thinks that everyone should listen to him because he's so correct. Well, he turns it, he turns it into... Uh, 
you were deliberately undermining me. Right. Like, yeah. Like, oh, you you didn't follow my direction. What? You don't think that I'm smart Maybe because he important. couldn't, like, he couldn't believe that anybody just wouldn't be paying rapt attention to him at all times. Yeah, or just to punish them and let them know, like, don't do it again. One member, Randall Gibson, he, uh, he left in disgust and anger after this. And, like, yeah. years later, he said, quote, John Allen has a brain muscle which is large as the Belgian Congo and as dark and as conflicted. Gibson said that he believed the theater was less about personal development and more, and quote, a very powerful set of emotional techniques, a part of the behavioral control laboratory of this group. Yeah. Well, if he studied, you know, group, what did you call it? Group dynamics or group psychology? Yeah. Then, hello, you have a perfect cult leader right exactly. there. You have the perfect person to know exactly how to mold people's minds and kind of break them down and, in a way, I guess, mind control them a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah, um, Because any form of manipulation is mind control. Yeah. Uh, Gibson recalled that Alan's loudest tirades and, from time to time, even physical blows were seen as a special challenge for the person on the receiving end, designed to, and quote, make them hit a higher breakthrough. It was just a part of life that, and quote, every now and then, you'd have to be officially excoriated. Okay. The stronger the suffering, the bigger the catharsis that you oh, like that, after. Yeah, yeah. You would just have to, you have to make it through this in order to harden your own, I don't know, like, ability to strong. Like, if you can't survive me yelling at you, then you're too weak to be here anyway. Or more the, like, the, the idea of temperance, like making a, a sword sharper, making okay. someone or more like effective. stoicism. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, stoicism is, is cool. Which is funny or... because, like, he's totally not, doesn't display any temperance or stoicism Exa at yeah. all. Yeah. So it's like a, an unfair standard to, to apply also, to like, other people. Preaching this idea of things working together and shit, you know? Right. Like, uh, uh, that and dude. Um, maybe part of things working together is a little bit of chaos. Yeah. I think that that definitely is something. But clearly, like this didn't pan out well for him in the end, which we will learn. I mean, it didn't pan out terribly either. That's true. That's the thing. Like, there was a lot of success that this group achieved. This motherfucker is still giving talks at goddamn Burning Man. Well, of course, Burning Man is full of a bunch of like business owners and bankers. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like He's Burning with his Man people. is all the burners are just fucking rich people. You know yep. how expensive it is. Didn't used to be the case. That's true. Yeah. Bad. Anyway, that dude... Uh, they leave trash everywhere, too, motherfuckers. It's supposed... Sorry. But Burning Man is just really fucking bad for, yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, You know, the environment. They leave trash everywhere. Which I know, because I've seen YouTube videos about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, that dude, Lawrence Vasey, he writes this about John Allen. The others all look to him constantly for their cues, for the subtle signals which tell them what to do and what not to do. Yeah, Daddy Dolphin, please approve of me. <laughs> his chanting rhythms they imitate with their own voices. His instructions they seek to apply in the theater. Alan's domination over the group is open and for the most part undisguised. This entire social order is the tangible enactment of his own vision. Wow. Yeah. He really just like said, let me control your mind. And yeah. they were all like, okay. Yeah, you're so smart. All right. You're so I don't smart. feel like thinking for myself anymore anyway. Nope. Yeah. 
everyone was free to leave whenever they wished. Yeah. Mostly they stayed and embarked on even more ridiculous endeavors. I mean, like, I probably would have, too. Like, I'm... Because they were doing shit. You know. They were doing shit. Yeah. I, a little bit of... Because then at least everyone has each other to be like, yo, what the fuck was that? Did you see him yelling at me? What the... F right. You know? So at least they had each other to sort of lean on and be like, yeah, we love him, but he's, like, a piece he's, of shit. Yeah, but he's a son of He's kind of like... When I saw the documentary Spaceship Earth, he reminded me a lot of, like, almost a father figure to these people. There was yeah. even one guy that said, like, you know, I didn't have much of a father figure, so I guess I always was looking for someone to supplant that position in my life, and yeah. he was a great person for that. And yeah, I can totally see that. I mean, most people, like, right, It's exactly. not so bad, even. And like, most people, like, who got exposed to this shit, like, the outside scientists and stuff, they went... Oh, fuck all that. Jesus Christ. You know, yeah. like, you, I got a fun story with Terrence McKenna coming up in a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, my boy Terrence. Yeah. But, you know, mostly the people stayed. Uh, mm -hmm. And they did this ridiculous shit. And a lot of it like, fucking worked. If all you have to put up with is some verbal abuse every once in a yeah. while, it's like, well, probably dealt with that anyway from somewhere some at some point. Yeah, so. exactly. By 1974, this is actually really cool. The Synergist Construction Company, they started a construction company. They did not smoke weed. It was called Sinoco. And it, Good way to stay in shape. They rediscovered this, like, native adobe building method. Awesome. Yeah, like, a way of, uh, I believe it was mixing the fucking adobe clay. But yeah, they rediscovered a way of mixing adobe that allowed different types of buildings to be built like ones that like the the like the modern adobe they were using at the time wouldn't allow for and so it was like oh shit this is really cool we can make some cool fucking buildings in santa fe and they like got these contracts to build condos and an apartment complex and shit yeah and that's they probably, actually brought um, in a bunch of, of money that's probably the best one of the best building materials to use in santa fe as well yeah like yeah no like i've said <laughs> these guys like as much as we're making fun of this dude the like, shit they were doing was really cool. Why would really you build cool. a wooden building in Santa Fe, New Mexico? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't know. Are there trees in New Mexico? There totally are. I'm just really dumb and yeah. I've never traveled there. I'm certain there are forests <laughs> they there. Also, they were also, but... they, were, they were using Adobe before. It just wasn't like the old stuff. Okay. The OG yeah. stuff. Yeah. I don't know a lot good, about good. different climates in America. Every but time I just... we do this, I realize how dumb I am. Yeah, no, me too. Yeah. Like, there's so much that I, I don't know. And I promise I'm not super dumb, just like a little bit. But that makes me hashtag relatable. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah i mean despite alan's uh psychopathy his business school organization techniques were they were paid off they were actually fucking pulling in you have to be a little bit of money. a psychopath to be successful in business absolutely i think absolutely. nothing wrong with a little bit and uh they were finally settling into a smooth rhythm and uh, mm -hmm. that's when john allen abruptly announced that to become truly citizens of the world they had to become sea people you gotta push it further we gotta See, be sea people so Here's the thing. When you have a kid, which I've never had, but I've heard, as soon as your kid reaches the age or like the level in their development as a baby where you're like, okay, I, I understand how to deal with my kid. Then they get a little bit older and you have to get them new clothes and new everything and relearn like, okay, how do I deal with a kid that's at this part of their development yeah that's very much kind of like what he was doing yeah like okay we figured this out now we got to push it further now yeah, we got to exactly. push it further we got to exactly. push it further like there's there's more to discover more you have to do which yeah. is also kind of how life is itself yeah you think you got it figured out and then you don't and yeah, then you become wrong. comfortable and you got to push it further he's really not he's really not wrong 
Like, yeah. he's just an asshole about it. Because mm-hmm. to uh, become sea people, they had to build a fucking boat. Right. Right. So that's a big group effort, too. Right. Everybody so needs to be contributing, working and devoted. They like with like characteristic theater kids, saccharine enthusiasm. They fucking packed up 14 people in the school bus, drove to Oakland, California, where they rented oh, a the boat in their backyard. The but like, <laughs> why not? If you've already mastered what you're doing, also like. You want to push it further, too, even if you're at a place of comfort. Okay, but we could do more. We could learn more. And why not? Like, let's build a ship. I can't even. How inspiring. It's honest. Yeah. This part in the story. It's fucking sick. This part in the story makes me like filled with awe and wonder at their ability. It was like a full boat with like three sail, three masts. Oh, God. And I saw the video of them first putting this boat out to water and how it like dips down first and like they're all like oh shit is our boat gonna work and then it it bobs up and it's sailing and they open up the sails and like they're going and now you have this vessel that you can travel the world with and you're like this theater company and you're all goofy and you're doing your stuff pack up our costumes and let's go tour the world and do our little stupid theater stuff and I just love that so much there's something about that that is so inspiring to me no me too absolutely and that they built the vessel that they travel on just makes it 200 times 500 million times cooler yeah the entire project cost ninety thousand dollars including sixty thousand dollars that group member randall gibson heir to a family fortune contributed out of his own trust yeah so this dude he paid for a lot of it and then he left for some damn reason uh i wish i knew why i know i definitely feel like i would have picked that up right if if that information was available you would have figured it out I hope so. I'd like to yeah. think so. Well, I guess we do know why. It's because John P. Allen is an asshole. He's a fucking dick. So the builders, uh, who the, the people who went there, they worked 12-hour days without pay in exchange for, end quote, sweat equity. Ownership. Those who sweated together would own the boat together. To support themselves, they opened a cafe in downtown Berkeley, the Junkman's Palace, serving hamburgers to the resident bohemians. Uh, uh, this is where we meet the other, like... Sweat equity. <laughs> First of all, it sounds gross. Sounds so gross, And dude. second of all, it is gross. It is gross. They're going to own, oh, you're going to own a bit of the boat. We're all going to be co-owners Fuck. in this boat. Gross. So the, the, this is where we meet the other, like, raging narcissist in this story. She's the She was in charge of construction of the boat. Her name was Margaret Augustine, and she was a very young, very new member who, it's something like her and her boyfriend were, like, looking for cool people in Berkeley, and they wanted to, like, travel the world with that cool, you know, groovy spiritual you know, people. as one does so in they the put 70s up, in yeah. Berkeley. So they put up flyers around, like, oh, if you're interested in, you know, gaining enlightenment, doing the groovy shit, like, hit us up. We should and put those up. No, I guess we'll just end up boat slaves. <laughs> <laughs> But no, because she ended up the CEO though. So actually, we should put up some. We should put up some flyers. She got like someone called her and was like, "Hey, we're not gonna go with you around the world, but you want to build a boat?" And she was like, "Yeah." And then I guess they just made her. They put her in charge. She was like twenty-one, and so she was in charge. I don't know why. Why her? What What made her so specially qualified to take on like head honcho in this boat building? Dude, I don't know. She would later be like, she just was she just like you know a boss bitch? Yeah, I think so. Like she, uh, she'd later become the CEO of Biosphere too. 
member of the group Ben Epperson describes her. He has a quote to describe. He said, she had real managerial ability. At her best, she was a very good people leader, dynamic, and everything. At her worst, she could be extremely dogmatic and defensive. Aggressively defensive. Defensively aggressive. So Wow. Okay, Dr. Su- yeah. So, oh, okay, so they've got this shack and they're building a boat in basically their backyard on these docks. And, like, there are all these, like, smart people that came from this commune and they talked to people and stuff because that's what you did back in the day. So people heard, like, they people had already heard of these guys and they were already, like, attracting, like, other, like, scientists and shit to and smart people to be like, hey, let's talk about, you seem interesting, let's talk about stuff. Stop by our shack. Like, stop, you know, stop by our ranch and shit. And so they yeah, were having, totally. like, they were already courting the rest of the, you know, smart fuck community right oh definitely that's yeah. the best way to do it be like yeah. hey we're independent artists we need funding do you wanna <laughs> yeah uh wink wink to any people that might want to fund independent artists but yeah and so like people stopped by and including famed famed psychedelic philosopher and human mushroom terence mckenna and his brother dennis they were uh they, they stopped in meet these people and and have dinner and stuff and uh, this is what Terrence McKenna had to say about oh, these I'm people. Oh, I'm excited to hear this. <laughs> I'm not going to do an impression of him. I tried in the mirror and it doesn't work. I can't do okay. it. Okay. We've all done it. We all know what we're trying to go for here. Yeah, but I'm it's embarrassing. Gonna, it's to embarrassing try. and he's a good dude. I don't want to do yeah. it. Yeah. So. Right, but this is what he said. Plug your nose and talk. Terrence <laughs> <laughs> said it was a crazy scene, and after five minutes, it was clear they knew nothing, but nothing about science. They said they wanted to work with us, but that we were barred from coming to the boat between two and three in the afternoon because that was time for theater exercises. They invited us to dinner, and it was really weird. First, they all howled before eating. Then they had two rules. The first is that you never talk during dinner. The second, you never tell anyone from the outside what the first rule is. So we just sat there chattering until we caught on. What is this, Fight Club? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Terrence McKenna walked into Theater Fight Club and just walked out. Don't like, tell anyone <laughs> what none. the first rule is. <laughs> So 2 to 3 p.m. is barred off for theater exercises. And like, you want to build so, a boat? So what are they doing? Like red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> like what are they doing for theater exercises? Just like, I don't know, walking around on all fours and being fucking weird. And yeah. they're like, listen, this is our one hour of unmitigated weird time. Don't you dare disrupt that. Yeah. Which, you know, weird time is sacred. Weird time so. is fucking sacred. Good for them. And I mean, they called it, it was a valuable part of their shit. Um, and in fucking 75, they finished the Heraclitus. The yeah, Heraclitus. they did. They decided beautiful, to, beautiful ship. And they decided to sail west to Hawaii, then onward to Southeast Asia and the Indian Ocean. But on their first night on the sea, they met a terrifying storm. So they shrugged and made a group decision to go around the world the other way, heading south, then through the Panama Canal eventually across the Atlantic to Europe. They actually did sail the ship they built in their fucking backyard through the Panama Canal over to fucking Europe. So inspiring. It's ridiculous. So scary, too. Yeah, like, like they could have easily died. Definitely. Like, every time, I don't know, boats fucking freak, fucking freak me out. Yeah. <laughs> like, Terry, as Terry said, they didn't know um, anything about science. They you just are did helpless shit. to nature. Now, all right, I can't, I can't fucking believe I actually get to say this. Meanwhile... Back at the ranch. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta take advantage of it while you can. Oh yeah, not often you get to say that, but... Meanwhile, the threads of fate led an idealistic young heir to a Texas oil fortune to join the synergists. His name was Ed Bass. Okay, okay, you class traitor. (laughs) (laughs) You had something good and you fucked it up. (laughs) So, Bass hasn't been on record hardly at all about any of this, uh, and he still won't really talk about it. He described himself like... You know, some people are philanthropists. 
Oh yeah, and they're like I donate, so that absolves me of everything else. Yeah, uh, well, and he described himself not as a philanthropist but a philecoist. I think he called it, which oh, basically which oh, he then ex- oh. explained to mean that like p- philanthropists love people and they want to donate yeah. money to save people. He, so he doesn't love people; earth. he loves the earth and he wants to save. And that's just where he puts all of his money. Like to this day, dude's just he's just doing that, which Ed is fucking Bass. sick. Yeah, he got all his money because his uncle Sid Richardson left Ed and his brothers millions. In, uh, in inheritance money from being like a, a Texas oil man, Texas oil money. And then Ed's oldest brother took that money, put it into the fucking market, bought a bunch of Disney stock, turned those millions into fucking billions. So Ed just got a bunch of billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And through the joint construction endeavors between Ed's company, uh, this, is what it, this is what it said, this is the name of the company in the book, which is really cool. I, I hope it's not a typo. Badlands Conspiracy Company. Whoa. Like that's, like that's pretty cool. Nice. Where, well, I mean, like, where would the typo be? Con- conspiracy instead of construction? Uh, that's a pretty, that's like a lot of letters to fuck up. I know. I don't think it is. That's a badass name yeah. for a construction company. Yeah. So through joint construction endeavors between the Badlands Conspiracy Company and the Synergist's own, own company, Sinoco, Ed made contact with Synergia Ranch and he found a source of the meaning and joy he had been searching for his entire life. He was like, he was the weird kid of his family. I can relate. Yeah. Where's his brothers and shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, his brothers and shit were like, you know, Texas business people and Ed was this fucking nature loving hippie. Yeah, still with billions, yeah. Yeah. A hippie with billions. That a hippie a billion with, dollar hippie. A hippie hmm. with a bunch of billions. Wow. The, the thing about money is money is power. And you can do well just about anything with boatloads of cash. And especially with the enthusiasm and stick to itiveness of the synergists, their insane fucking work ethic and shit. That's like that's that's like the nuclear bomb of a combination, uh-huh. right? Ed had yeah, more money he, than God and he wanted to save the earth. People that want to get shit done who have the resources to do it. Now they just got billions of fucking dollars at their disposal. I mean, they wouldn't spend all of his billions, but they'd spend hundreds of millions of dollars of this dude's money. Hundreds of millions. Uh, now they've got the money, they've got the experience, and John Allen's philosophy of create and run, as he sums up here. Nothing fails like success, wise men say, because from success a man will often forget how to make the next step, and but plunge down from a higher precipice than before. Therefore, the wisest men say, best to succeed, to go from achievement to deeper achievement until death confronts each of us. Yay, Johnny Dolphin, yay. Don't settle (sighs) for mediocrity. (sighs) He's just tiring. It's just everything. I'm just so tired. Can you just, <laughs> so cool, can you just appreciate the moment, you know, yeah. you know, Mr. Dolphin, just, can you just sit and relax and be like, hey, this is good enough. Shut up and smoke this. You know, <laughs> is anything good enough for you, Mr. Dolphin? Nothing's good enough for no, Dolphin. No, clearly not. So as the Heracles is sailing the seas, the ranch is up and running, the construction business is up and running. What, what were they going to do now? They got this boat sailing around, all this shit. They found it a fucking institute. So they just started this organization called the Institute of Ecotechnics. Okay, but they didn't know anything about science. No, they made up this word, ecotechnics, totally made up word. Mark Nelson, who would be one of the people to live inside uh, Biosphere 2, he argued, um, and quote, the reconciliation between techniques needs to be not only at the individual life form level, bio, but at the ecological or ecosystem level, echo. The participants also believed they could create a revolutionary way to live. As three of the Institute's directors later wrote, they aspired to create, and quote, a new discipline for themselves personally, society, and for nature. 
Armed with all this gullible Texas oil money, the group began snatching up properties all over the world. Puerto Rico, southern France, 300,000 acres in the Australian outback, all set up as different types of intentional spaces and all paid for by Ed Bass. They built a half a million dollar hotel in Kathmandu, meant to be a sort of temple to the fusion of Eastern and Western culture that Alan describes this way. A world, with, a world which would serve as a gateway into mountain Asia, the rooftop of the world, a gateway that people could enter from all directions and go out in all directions. It's a hotel. It's a hotel. It's a hotel, Mr. Dolphin. Soon, more than 100 people were involved in ecotechnics projects around the world, moving from one outpost to another in search of new adventures. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny to me is that they're deluding themselves to think that they're doing anything new. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're not, though. You're not I doing mean, anything it's, new. It's lovely. Yeah. It's a lovely idea, but it's just a performance. It's, it's not, just a it's performance. It's not actually scientific research, and it's actually not anything new. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's <laughs> so, cool that you did it. The thing that the Institute of Ecotechnics ended up doing was basically, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get to this, but it, it, it was, it was a way to bring scientists and cultural people from other yeah. d disciplines together because they didn't have to pay for shit. Basically, yeah, right? Ed Bass was just letting people spend his fucking money to poke around. God bless him. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, Ed Bass. Like. Yep. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. By the mid-1980s, uh, there was a hundred aspiring sea people who had completed nine-month stints learning seamanship and diving aboard the Heraclitus um, as a sail of the world. Uh, seamanship. The Heraclitus? <laughs> seamanship. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, so they had a they had hundred seamen sailing the, oh sailing the Heraclitus. Oh, God. And uh, another hundred had apprenticed in the various land and theater projects by uh, John Allen's estimate. Their crowning creative project was a massive theater and cultural center in Fort Worth, Texas, named the Caravan of Dreams. Wow. Built in 1982. And it was super fancy. Yeah. Uh, in 1983, they purchased thousands of acres of rainforest in Puerto Rico. And with that, the synergists turned into eco-technicians had an outpost in each one of the Earth's varied environments, each one of the Earth's biomes. Just like the biosphere, too. Yeah. 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 It's all just practice for right. the for the Microcosm, big show yeah they so they started holding these lavish conferences at each of their new properties inviting like various intellectual heroes of theirs to speak and rub elbows guests uh, included richard dawkins and lynn margulis who was one of the people that came up with the guy hypothesis that like earth functions as a single living organism yeah. um buckminster fuller who pioneered the ideas of synergy and geodesic domes and stuff jazz musician ornette coleman all these motherfuckers uh mark nelson one of the biosphere instead of their conferences uh and quote ie conferences were explicitly designed to include scientists artists managers and explorers and to include within science a range of dis one of the draws for the speakers participants was the chance to get outside their own narrow field of study or action none of the speakers ever received an honorarium just economy air tickets they, they even got william burroughs to, to deliver his own fucked up version of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in which nice. he in which he concludes that humanity needs to transcend their physical form beleaguered earth and become one with their astral dream body hey and i was saying Saying that earlier you were yeah i was literally saying that you know no more meat are you are you william burroughs uh reincarnated is Jesus. he dead yeah 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 yeah. oh okay yeah he's died yeah, yeah. he's very um, dead he's super i dead. don't i don't feel his spirit in my body it might be there <laughs> but like i hope it's not i sure i fucking hope it's not <laughs> i don't like the beat generation you don't I like really, the beats i don't huh. 
I don't. Interesting. I like him better than the hippies, man. Yeah. I, I also do, don't like Richard Dawkins. Oh, fuck Richard Dawkins. Like, he's as, a piece of shit. Figure, as soon as him. he got fuck Twitter, him. he was like, let me just reveal to everyone. Oh, dude, he's just a huge piece of shit. What? He's just a fucking asshole. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Like, what was his thing about why aren't people turned on by women giving birth? Like... Was uh, that Richard Dawkins? Yeah, he or like was, oh, Jesus Christ. He like tweeted about that. Like, what is wrong with you, you fucking weirdo? Anyway, he was there. I guess yeah. the synergians um didn't the synergists. I, I, dude, I really hope Richard Dawkins was listening to William Burroughs talk about the Astro Dream body though, and just like Definitely having a fucking conniption. Yeah, he, he was <laughs> raging inside. It's like, oh, how dare you believe in an invisible other? It's not real. <laughs> so in uh in 1982, at one of these conferences, architect Phil Hawes unveiled, at the urging of John Allen, his latest creation, a model for a geodesic dome, 110 feet in diameter, that was to be a floating terrarium and human colony in space. Apartments and gardens would ring the edges at the center, because of fucking course, there would be the first zero-gravity theater in the center of it. The Globe Theater, they called it. I fucking wish to God I was kidding. I... I mean, dream big, buddy. So can you explain what shape a geodesic dome is? It's a dome because made out of triangles. Made like out of triangles. Yeah, like okay. you see like a dome that's like... All right. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... It's just like a polygon. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, like dome. a jungle gym. Yeah, exactly. Just covered. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, fu I fucking wish I had yeah, a jungle call. gym. We should build one just so I can I'll jungle gym around it. Fuck yeah. The Globe Theater is patently ridiculous, even by their standards. But it sparked something in the minds of the eco-technicians in the audience. Two years later, in 1984, the biologist who had worked on the caravan of dreams in Fort Worth named Tony Burgess received a phone call from Margaret Augustine. She was the hotshot young boat maker. Miss Firefly. Miss Firefly. Ooh, she's on fire. Margaret Augustine asked if she, John Allen, Ed Bass, and a few others could come have dinner at Tony's apartment in a few days. He agreed. So when they arrived, John Allen sat down and dramatically exclaimed, We're entering the space race. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then thus began the tragedy, in a dramatic sense, mm -hmm. of Biosphere 2. Two days later, they all drove out to inspect an 1,800-acre parcel of land near Oracle in southern Arizona. Rebecca Ryder describes the site this way. The setting was spectacular. Here they could buy 1,800 acres of high-elevation desert. It was an open space of dried-up washes and low ridges, peppered with woody mesquite undergrowth, dry grasses and cacti, and roamed by lizards and herds of wild peccaries. Only an hour's drive north of Tucson, the site sat within reach of two major airports, making it accessible to guests, yet far enough out in the desert to keep some privacy. Um, no, it means that loud-ass planes are going to be passing over you all the time. Yeah, true. The nearest, anyway. the nearest neighbors lived several miles up the highway in Oracle, an isolated little town of working-class families and artists. The parcel of land would come to be known as Sunspace Ranch, and that's where Biosphere 2 would be built. In December 1984, Sunspace Ranch hosted its first Ecotechnics conference, uh, the Biosphere Conference. So at this point, the different Ecotechnics institutes had been hosting, like, a conference every year, and Ornette Collins been... And fucking... <laughs> And Richard Dawkins has flame coming out of his ears. And, <laughs> and what are they talking William about? William Burroughs is bodies? asking who wants to play William Tell. And uh, the, the, at the Biosphere 2 conference in 1984, Ecotechnics members flew in from all over the world to join in the unveiling of the great next phase of Ecotechnics. It sounds a lot like Dianetics when I read it like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, except they never did anything as cool. They also got a boat. Um, That is true. There's like... That is true. The that's kind of like thing, a, like, you know. It's a thing. That's a thing, it's I a guess. Thing. The conference program listed the Ecotechnics members as research associates and John Allen as their total systems consultant. What a way to put it. Which, kids, this is, a, uh, this is a wonderful lesson in faking it till you make it. Just make yeah. up titles. 
Total Systems Consultant. No yeah. one else has ever called themselves such a thing. Nope. No one ever will either because that that's is, dumb as hell. That is a unique title. That means nothing. So like the other Ecotechnics conferences, this one too brought in, in an eclectic mix of, uh, of people from various fields, space engineers, NASA astronauts, and visiting scientists in fields range, ranging from human medicine to chaos mathematics to microbiology. Previous occasions, however, Ecotechnics conferences were simply a way to enjoy high-budget socializing with other groovy smartfucks. Thank you, Ed Bass. This time, though, they had been summoned to be a part of something, something new, something exciting. Johnny Dolphin and the Ecotechnicians did not disappoint. After dinner, John Allen rose, and the lively chatter of the guests quickly fell silent. (laughs) (laughs) Our leader is standing. And they all just fucking, they stop mid-sentence. They're like, Daddy Dolphin is speaking. He greeted the gathering. Friends and fellow students of the universe. And he confidently told them of their mission, to create the first mitosis of biosphere planet ocean, the first offspring of their home planet, a new world. If this first experiment of Biosphere 2 worked, Alan proclaimed, new biospheres could one day support permanent settlements on other planets. With their help, earthly life and intelligence could spread throughout the universe. It would start on this site in the Arizona desert, but their target would be the objective history of man on this planet, which is the struggle to realize all possibilities. It's quite a lofty goal. <sighs> Do you think there was anyone there that was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Do I you, hope so. Do you know I what fucking, he's talking I about? So. Uh, what, what? Other planets? What? What? Tony Burgess. This, this is what he said. John Allen laid this down. We're all stunned at that point. There was a lot of giggling. We yeah. couldn't. We couldn't believe this was happening. It was neat to see that they were going to use some interesting science to do something way out of the ordinary. As excitement built at the conference, Mark Nelson, who would later live in the biosphere for two years, and this dude is sort of like, if I got the impression this dude like really loved Daddy Dolphin. Yeah. Like really, really loved Daddy Dolphin. Oh, yeah. There were definitely members that had a fucking this is giant dude, boner for him. This is the dude that kind of looks like an elf a little bit he's like he's very okay looking yeah 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 but he's just got that like sweet kind of innocent like kind face and he has his ears right he looks like i don't know maybe like your friend's dad that you might have a crush on okay i don't know (laughs) (laughs) so mark nelson he brought the hammer down on how cool this shit was perhaps childhood's end is at last at hand Alexander the Great reportedly wept that there weren't other worlds to conquer. What would he say to the prospect of creating new worlds and sending them into cosmos? We stand as travelers at the crossroads, armed with techniques so powerful as to threaten the continuation of our species and perhaps our very biosphere. But techniques which also make possible the accomplishment of man's oldest dream. As children of Gaia, the Earth's present biosphere, we have the opportunity, unique in our history and perhaps a necessity, to pay back the debt for our upraising, to initiate a new science and practice of biospherics. I legitimately almost had Dianetics there because... Yeah. uh, The thing about this that's funny to me, and by the way, when you Google um, John P. Allen, his title comes up as Adventurer underneath his name. Like, that's his official title that Google comes up. So, like, the thing about this is, you know, oh, humans won't be able to survive on Earth. We'll have to go to other planets. It's like, well, so if we fucked up Earth that bad, we don't deserve to live, do we? Like, I don't think so. I'm sorry, but Homo sapiens haven't always existed. We were a different species before we existed and we're just going to turn into the next evolution hold up hold up so who why stop that from happening hold up because we know that the earth is going to get swallowed by the sun at some point right there is no other animal that we know of that has ever existed that would have the capacity to get life off of this rock right that's true i mean i guess if we can why not we kind of what we do is we fucking 
we we have to explore we have to pick mm-hmm. things apart we have to break shit we have to trash the fucking place because it's what we do but the the other thing that we do is explore like we could be the earth's fucking reproductive organ you know like we could yeah. be the thing that gets life to somewhere else so I guess it's just like, it seems like humans are very scared of going extinct and all of these kind of like ideas that we have are kind of geared towards preserving our, the human race. And I'm just kind of like, well, you know. Well, biosphere is about preserving all of it. It was about, That's true. you know what I mean? It's not just about, it was about humans about at all. It was about life itself. It, yeah. it was about the whole thing, or at least it was supposed to be. Oh, yeah, know. why not try? It doesn't hurt to try. Yeah. It's um, kind of the human spirit, right? And maybe we'll learn something along the way and not fuck it up this time. Yeah. yeah they do. Let's hope. <laughs> so the other scientists like that were visiting, they wanted to believe in this shit, because it was 1984, and the utopian dream of space travel was like alive and well. And they had all this fucking money courtesy of Ed Bass, so why not poke around with someone else's money for cool reasons right so they just went along with it like they might think that these fucking actors are crazy as hell uh-huh. but they just went fucking along with it might as well try yeah on the name biosphere mark nelson set out their own working definition of a biosphere they argued that a uh, biosphere was a quote stable complex adaptive evolving life system containing the five kingdoms of life and including multiple biomes such as the rainforest ocean and desert uh carl hodges of the university of arizona's environmental research laboratory gave the keynote speech at the conference entitled the doability of the biosphere <laughs> hodges <laughs> hodges along with his colleagues from u of a would oversee the development of biosphere 2's agriculture systems and eco technologies he concluded his speech carefully and with conviction he said end quote it's totally doable <laughs> that's the doability <laughs> that's doability you can do it you uh, either can do it or you can't and you can do it. So Tony Burgess uh, recalled, we were going to use this as a focal point for all of these disciplines. What we thought we were going to do was that once we fused those disciplines, emerging from that project would be a whole new perspective on looking at and managing the ecosystems of the earth. So it like wasn't like they were had a specific experience. They just thought by doing the super cool thing, magically, this cool shit would come out. Yeah, something would happen. Yeah. An advertisement circulated at the conference that uh, sought out candidates for the the privileged eight spots um, mm-hmm. on the expedition. The, the crew of human biospherians. I love that. Synergians, biospherians, ecotechnicians. God damn it. So cute. Mm-hmm. So cute. The advertisement read, men and women between 18 and 30 who are scientifically disciplined and interested in both ecology and techniques in top health, emotionally open and willing to learn intensive group dynamics, able to work hard with zest for a common purpose. Creative Zest. Zest common purpose zest creative without having to always be the center of attention <laughs> and who wish to contribute to a truly historic project may apply all candidates were instructed to apply write a thousand word essay on your personal history another on what you wish to accomplish with your life and a third on human history its potentialities for ne- for the next move wow that's a lot of writing <sighs> i feel like fuck that i'm i graduated i don't ever want to write an essay again. these people love homework yeah they love it so much i could probably i think i would pass too i honestly think that i would that's the narcissism in me speaking um, you think you'd be a chosen bastard i think that i would at least be considered they'd be like oh this this girl's got it and then they would be like mm, but she shows some signs of instability i don't know if she would last the whole two years <laughs> better throw her out but i would be considered for certain <laughs> this girl's got it someone asked like what is it? <laughs> and they're like, actually, we don't. And then John Allen just comes in, dancing, he's like, pizzazz. Yeah. <laughs> dances away. You know, she's got the thing. Is that the special sauce? You know, this kid, she's got, she's got pizzazz. Ooh. All right. <laughs> so, anyway. They, they presented this very 
professionally. On paper, it was extremely organized with like the business school bullshit. The they were split into like these different companies that were all like not supposed like they're supposed to be different entities overseeing different parts. So it was like a well organized uh-huh. machine, a well oiled. Yeah. So there's the Decisions Investment Corporation, which was chaired by Ed Bass, and that Decisions would provide the investment. Yeah. Like what a, a stupid name. It oh yeah. Mean anything. Yeah, exactly. And because uh, then there was the Decisions Team Limited. What the fuck does that mean? And the board members of that were uh, John Allen, Ed Bass, Marie Harding, Margaret Augustine, Mark Nelson, and Kathleen Gray. It's it's limited to just these five people. Yeah, they would That's provide the management. Means. Yeah. Had a glossy publicity brochure entitled Project to Create a Biosphere, explained in like dry corporate prose. The Institute of Ecotechnics, i.e. an international ecological development firm chaired by Mark Nelson, presented the original concept of Biosphere 2 to DTL Decision Team Limited and has been engaged as project consultant for Total Systems Ecological Management. The brochure explained how the publishing company, Synergetic Press would contract to publish books for the project. The architectural firm Sarbid Synergetic Architecture and Biotechnic Design would draw the blueprints. Somehow, the, somehow the press releases neglected to mention that the intertwined boards and offices, officers of these companies and organizations all included roughly the same people. And yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like a bunch of shell companies just of them. like the same stuff. It's that's just like, them. Look, this is legit. Hey, I agree. Yeah. This is legit. Hey, I agree too. And it's like, you're all the same. The the board members of Space Biospheres Ventures were, were had also been living and working together in communal ecological projects Good and traveling them. theater groups for two decades. There was all these shell corporations and these people that have been living in breathing the same bullshit for two fucking decades good for them though i know i love it i love it so much i don't know how much of people's business relationships are just like hey man we know each other outside of work and we're buddies dude it's just saying the magic words it's just the magic words yeah that's what like the fucking business school shit is like it's just learning the fucking money wizard language and then you can do the the role yeah and you got it you can do it the the paperwork also like failed to explain that it was literally just ed bass bankrolling this Mm -hmm. that's where all the money came from every fucking dime i mean i guess they like for the biosphere like they made money with like the construction company and shit but this is the cost this would end up being a 200 million dollar project after he'd already spent you know and that's not even that much money you know to someone who uh to a lot of people that's not that much money they'd say oh two million 200 million Oh, 200? Well, that's, <laughs> that's quite a bit. Yeah. So, yeah. Ed Bass was bankrolling it. Margaret Augustine would be the CEO of Space Biospheres Ventures and co-architect with Phil Hall. John Allen started out as total systems consultant, but would later become director of research and development and then executive chairman. A list of institutions hired on to help design the biosphere. New York Botanical Garden, Smithsonian Institution, University of Arizona, Environmental Research Laboratory. Made an impressive roster as well, and it made for truly convincing theater. Yeah, the Smithsonian? Yeah. For sure. From this genesis in 1984 until shortly after the voyage was already underway, the media was, let's say, uh, worryingly generous and overexcited about the project in a way that like no reality could satisfy their expectations. The theater was just a little, a little too good, right? This is going to be amazing. And so they're yeah. like, these guys are going to save the fucking world. Like the London Times, uh, they, they wrote about him as, uh, in quote, an inspired group of scientists, architects, and other savants working on a groundbreaking ec- ecological wow. project. That's how you know they mean it. Savant. Yeah. Uh, they, Phil, used, they broke out the French. They broke this. out the fucking French. Phil Hawes said, you read the accounts of the biosphere, what you see in the press, they had no idea. It was just the surface. They had no idea what was going on really in the depths of the strangeness of it all. The architect said that. 
Discover Magazine called the project the work of, an, quote, one wealthy investor and a group of mainstream researchers. In an article entitled The That's New generous. World, yeah, the magazine made a glowing pronouncement in 1987. Biosphere 2 was, unquote, the most exciting venture to be undertaken in the U.S. since President Kennedy launched us towards the moon. Johnny Dolphin. <laughs> wow. They're like, they're putting so much pressure on this as yeah, something that's going to like be really cool. And, uh -huh. like, and I'm sure that put a lot of pressure on like the director has to give the performance of a lifetime. Uh -huh. 200 fucking million. You <sighs> do. You There's part of like faking it till you make it. That is definitely true in a magical sense. Yeah. But there's also like, well, you got to, you don't want to. You got to know when to lay off the gas a yeah, little bit. Yeah, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. Yeah, and you, you fucking got to know when to walk away. Biosphere 2 wasn't the first experiment in creating human habitats for uninhabitable places. Both NASA and the Soviets had made great strides by then. Those projects had been far more machine than natural environment. Biosphere 2's goal was, at the beginning, to create a fully self-sustaining ecosystem. Thus, the biosphere was designed to hold an incredible amount of, of biodiversity for its just over three acres. It was expected that species in the biosphere would go extinct as the system self-regulated. Yeah. Just like Earth. Just like Biosphere 1. Yeah, exactly. And it would try to, like, balance itself out. Rebecca Ryder writes... Including a variety of different ecosystems would also help balance the gases in Biosphere 2's atmosphere. In winter, when most plant growth would slow down, the Biospherians could rain on the dormant savanna to wake up the plants to produce more oxygen. Strategic rain on the desert could also extend that area's growing season. It helped that desert plants were accustomed to making their growth spurts during winter rains. So yeah, everything was like right. They were supposed to just work together as this clockwork fucking yeah. puzzle. So at this point in the story, for podcast purposes, yes. they're building the biosphere. They're not quite building it yet. Okay, they haven't built it yet. They're designing. They, they're <laughs> they're or, designing the. Well, because the actual building of it only it only took a couple years. They did it, yeah, they yeah, did yeah. it like so fucking fast. So, so we're not in the biosphere yet. We're no. not any of that. No, we're no, just no. So we're like talking about biosphere we're in the late two. Yes, biosphere two. We're in the late 1980s. They've held this massive conference, got everyone super excited, sold the fuck out of this project. Yeah. And now they have the land. Now they're drawing the plants. Like, now they're deciding what they're going to put in there, what mm -hmm. species, how they're going to make all the systems work together, which they just assume they can do. That's the thing. They're just assuming they can do I mean, do they this. built a fucking ship. I'd feel like I can do anything after yeah, exactly. building a ship. I'd be like, God damn. What um, else can I... What else can I do? Yeah. I mean, and, like, it does make fucking sense. Like, you can make a mini-earth that takes care of itself, a self-regulating ecological system. But the extravagance of the biosphere's choices in the species they brought in were puzzling and seemingly without scientific justification. Well, they weren't scientists. Again, to quote Rebecca Ryder, Why would Biosphere 2 count among its residents desert tortoises, blue lizards, and playful little African primates called Galagos, commonly, commonly known as bush babies? They oh fuck not the yeah dude I warned you there was gonna be a fucking weird callback yep yep <laughs> oh no yep oh were they all hard rockers too <laughs> no bush babies no. they're like only animals that look like they could promote Satanism yeah. in, in our facility so please. do you know why they brought in the bush babies because they're cute. 
because one of John Allen's idols and acquaintances, the eccentric beat writer William S. Burroughs, had become enamored of the tree tweed of the tree-dwelling lemurs during his travels in South America and just suggested that Biosphere 2 should include some. Yeah. Should include something similar. Wow. He's, yeah. um, he's quite quite a people pleaser, huh? Yeah. Hey, uh, lemurs proved a little too large for the miniature rainforest. Like, William Burroughs yeah, probably just on heroin. On just, just on heroin, like, probably drunk. Y'all should get some bush babies. Like, I, I, you know, I saw, and I was down in South America, I met some fun monkeys. Did you get some? Yeah, like I don't know. That's like a weird. That's like a bad Hunter Thompson impression. But um, I'm curious. How does he sound? Johnny Dolphin. I met these most fantastic monkeys down in the jungles of South America. He's they would like be... <laughs> an old man that leaves nice and uh, long pauses in I... between. So you have to keep listening to my old man nonsense. I knew a good primate once in South America. He was a lemur. Bush baby. <laughs> All right, so besides bush babies, what else did they include? They included a fragile coral reef in the ocean, a waterfall gushing into a hidden pool in the rainforest, the sacred Amazonian hallucinogenic vine ayahuasca. They had. They grew perfect, that there? Yeah, they had that in the biosphere. Oh my god, and yet they were like brewing fucking dandelion wine? Yeah. Like you have ayahuasca right there. Yeah, I mean, because it was just part of like the environment, like oh, okay. environment, you know? Oh. And perfectly timed waves lapping against a sandy, sandy beach in the ocean. Um, like the practical considerations were only like a, a, a part of the story, you know? It was. There was a yeah. lot of vanity here. Uh, each of the different biomes had a different designer with their own modus operandi. Uh, Weird. You would think they would all work together. You would think so. You would think they'd kind of have to. But, you know, the spirit of everything just working itself out, right? Yeah. Without any centralized power, right? Because that's the whole okay. thing. No, there's no centralized, there's no centralized like, sort of authoritarian figure at the at the center of it. Like, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Gillian Prance and Tony Burgess designed the rainforest and desert biomes, respectively. They tried to create a number of, of miniature biomes inside their miniature biome representing the different variations of rainforests and desert you can find on Earth. Walter uh, Aidy, the marine design captain from the Smithsonian, decided that instead of picking out plants one by one, by one they would just pull in big chunks of nature, put them together, and see what happened. Oh, big chunks. Aidy said, just dig in. You can't hold back because you don't know. It's the grand adventure of the 21st century. Mm. Uh, architect Margaret Augustine, because she's, she's the architect now too, at the designers' conference, described the high-tech habitat as a micro-city or micropolis. <laughs> <laughs> it would okay. feature different districts like you would find in any major city. And she's talking about the, the humans, like, living spaces now. Yeah, yeah. The Biosphereans eight apartments would be the homes, the kitchen and dining room, the restaurant district, computer and video conferencing rooms. Restaurant would, district. Yeah. Like, that's that's generous, I, I yeah. believe. The computer and video conferencing rooms would be the high-tech communication sector. The labs would be the zone of hospitals and medical research and analytics. Okay. And an industrial zone in the basement would include a state-of-the-art machine shop to repair broken equipment. Uh, I get there's a necessity to that. Yeah, definitely. But you don't have to like the sell it so it, hard. The rest of it's like I thought you were trying to like be a natural environment, though. Like there are utopians too, you know. Yeah, I guess it just seems like kind of a shortcut to your utopia when you're like, we're gonna try living on our own for two years and live off the plants and blah blah blah, and you just kind of like build your own kitchen and like bring in your own stuff. Well, that's and kind of their philosophy, and I could do, like they thought there was a better way to keep civilization and merge it with nature. Yeah, you know, because I guess if you were to go to another planet, you would still have all the stuff that Earth has available 
people on it to bring yeah. there. But and you I would think, also have to figure out your own way to sustain it past the point of when your resources are burnt right. out. Right. And I think that they're what they were trying to say was that like you don't need to give up anything to be more in harmony with nature. Like yeah. you don't need to give up your restaurants and industry and science and shit, mm-hmm. which I can fucking dig. But yeah, like so it they did also sell it as it was supposed to be wild. But mm-hmm. it was also but supposed to be not, a because it's, it's not. created by humans. There's no way that it could ever be wild because yeah. it's all exactly. man-made. It was. It, it, they had a rainforest, a coral reef, and a desert magically living yeah. under under to one even roof. Pretend that it is is like yeah. just um, ignoring reality. So I mean, they and to make all these things work together, they had to incorporate like a lot of technology. Roy Walford, the biospherian, who is like, we'll talk about him later on. He's really cool. Uh, he described the biosphere as, and quote, the Garden of Eden on top of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they like, <laughs> at, at first they had, they had hoped that water would condense on the glass walls and magically rain down on the plants, but eventually they settled on uh, placing controlled spr- sprinklers throughout the wilderness. Yeah, right. Like what? You're just going to make rain mm-hmm. happen inside of an enclosed place? Large fans would keep air circulating so. within and among the biomes. A wave-making machine driven by a vacuum pump would create turbulence in the ocean necessary to keep the corals happy. There was water cooling towers next to Biosphere 2 that would provide the air conditioning. There's chill because this is fucking Arizona and yeah. they're going to be there throughout all the seasons, right? Uh, right. It's cold in winter too, I Yeah. Think. Chilled water would flow through sealed pipes underneath the wilderness, absorbing heat, then flowing back out. The system would guard against the scorching temperatures possible in a, in a desert greenhouse because uh, if the cooling system failed, the head designer, William Dempster, calculated that Biosphere 2 wilderness would cook at 150 degrees Fahrenheit on a sunny Arizona day. Like that, a medium rare takes 128 degrees. Like, uh, yeah. It's like, why even do any of this? Why, I know. it's You know, like, Biosphere 1 is right here. It has all of the things that you're trying to prove and do and whatever. Like, it's just a lot bigger, of course. But, like, it's already right here. And the thing is, they already set up their you own know? institutions in all the different biomes of the Earth. Yeah. Like, they didn't need to... Ah. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I want to be the lord of my own mini-Earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, to keep all these cycles running, Biosphere 2 required up to three megawatts of power at any any time. Like, why not just let the Earth do its own natural thing? So, exactly. So, they, they hoped to uh, use nothing but solar power, right? Well... Uh, they, we're they, not there yet. No, no. They hope to use solar power, but they backed off and they realized they would need acres of solar panels on the surrounding hillsides at the cost of tens of millions of dollars. I don't think they really cared about that because Ed was just yeah, kind of Yeah, they, they had yeah. Mr. Bass, Mr. So, Dolphin, and Mr. Bass. So they... Uh, Lots of fishmen. God damn it, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but they so that what they did is they, they built a power plant in the out and back they built a power plant out back in the biosphere that oh, would run... Oh, delightful. It, it ran on a combination Very of natural, natural. natural gas and diesel. Yeah, so yeah. the word natural okay. is is in there. Natural, um, quote, quote. They, but they they found no contradictions or hypocrisy in this. Like, in fact, they loved it. They they saw it as the synergy between human and nature, or biological like, and technological. So it's just mini Earth then. They're also so just why even that's the whole thing. They they had this like elaborate network of computerized sensors which would monitor temperature, monitor temperatures and gases throughout the wilderness. It became known as the biosphere's nerve system. Mm-hmm. Two white geodesic domes. Uh, out alongside the biosphere two became known as its lungs. The two lung chambers uh, would inflate and deflate as air pressure changed inside the biosphere to keep the wilderness's glass walls from shattering as air expanded and contracted with changes in temperature. The mix of bo- uh, bodily metaphors revealed biosphere two's hybrid nature, a true cyborg. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the earth is kind of like a big human. Like it has different systems yeah. and stuff that yeah, require yeah. certain things in order for the earth to stay alive, just like our organs and whatnot. Yeah. 
it like the final form would end up looking like the glass love child of an ancient castle interbred with a spaceship. Yeah, no, literally. It's yeah. like the Habsburgs of yeah. like microplanets. <laughs> in 1987, work began in earnest. The first biosphere mission would take place in 1991. They wanted to get it done in like 1998, but... You know. Yeah, well... So they broke ground in like 1987. Only like four fucking years before people were inside. Like, this is insane. That's really fucking quick. Yeah. Like, they really must have like, okay, chop, chop, people. Like So that's, yeah, like... Four years is a is a presidential election cycle, right? Imagine yeah. this thing being built to Especially having people in it. Especially for a bunch of that. people that, mind you, are not scientists. They're actors. Some of them are scientists, but not yeah. like super trained. You know, right, right, not, right. Like, but regardless, like this is a hugely ambitious project yeah. that is. I'm sorry, but it's pretty much absolutely meaningless. Like, what did we learn from it other than, like, uh, I guess we can't do that? You know what? Because they didn't... How much research did they really... I got a lot to say about that when we when we talk about that. Because okay, I think I think excellent. we actually did get a Prove lot of... Prove me wrong, baby. Yeah, I think I, I, think I, I, think I can. Because uh, I actually think we got a lot of valuable shit out of it. Okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, like, even if it didn't work out, at least we got something from it. I think we got a lot out of it. And I think I, and I, I guess kind of agree with them that it still exists also, by the way. Yeah. It's still there at the still University of Arizona yeah. being used by students for research. Yeah. So, no, it's, um, it's not all for naught. And, and I don't think that we can even say that it didn't work either. Because there wasn't That's necessarily true. a goal. It's they were just, just seeing human what happened. They were just doing a thing. They were doing a performance. Like, this was yeah. art. This was high-budget art. And, like, that's valuable. As much as it make fun of it, I'm just making fun of Johnny Dolphin. Like, the actual art yeah, of it, yeah. like, I'm... I'm super fucking down with. It's. I feel like it's more art than science. Absolutely. To be honest with you. I like, mean, I like in my own like philosophical tradition, I think it's an act of magic. Like it's imposing an imagination upon the world, and like. I mean, really though. Yeah, yeah. Like, let's try this thing and see what happens. Exactly. What can we create uh, here? Because the world is so big, and it feels so big. So to be able to make it smaller and then exist within it is definitely a magical act. But like, how accurate can you? How accurately can you recreate that? Um, not very. It's going to be a man made thing yeah in uh so the tucson citizen like wrote about the groundbreaking and they gushed over the occasion so end quote while most of us went about our usual tasks yesterday an event took place 35 miles north of tucson that could be more important than the discovery of america <laughs> ground was broken for biosphere um. two <laughs> <laughs> okay it could be nothing short of the first step to creating permanent life on another planet if not the discovery of a new world or at least the making of one way to really set them up yeah. for some some lofty expectations shit so the project was constructed with the same zeal that the yuko technicians had done everything else in their life with while their scientific consultant partners came and went the members of the institute of ecotechnics lived on site and worked the long hours they had come to know and love from their family of pioneers but apart from the scientists many of whom were not a part of the round-the-clock crew a great deal of the people and very important decisions were unqualified is a bit too generous they were yeah. they were almost anti-qualified Sally Silverstone, known to her friends as Sierra, flew, oh, wow. flew in from the Ecotechnics Rainforest Project in Puerto Rico to join the Biosphere 2 team. When she found that she was one of the few group members with any bookkeeping experience, uh, she began looking after the project's finances. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> soon she became, soon she found herself financial controller of the company, in charge of signing off on dozens, then hundreds of contracts as millions of dollars began passing from Ed Bass, Bass's yeah. Decisions Investment Corporation into the Good project site. Good for you, Miss Sally Silverstone. Yep. She's like, la, la, la. Uh, check, check, la, la, la. Then check, she check, became check. Uh, an apprentice architect as well. 
Oh, good. Yeah. Because, so, so then... you know, she's she knows a lot about architecture. Well, yeah, just like uh, Margaret, Margaret Augustine oversaw yeah, the ship. Yeah, she's our CEO, yeah, she's, architect, yeah. so, blah, blah, blah. Um, she, she became a co-architect and CEO of the entire project. Her highest education consisted of a bachelor's in architecture awarded by her own companions at the Institute of Ecotechnics. Awesome. One of the few I, degrees. That, I got a degree at the place that I found it. Yeah, my it's buddy, totally my, my friends, that's literally like you giving me a degree. Yeah, like, hey, Willow, can I have a degree? <laughs> I got a degree in nonsense yeah. at the Nonsense Bazaar. It's can, totally can you, official. Can I have a, a PhD in nonsense? Yeah, here you go. I, you. I signed it. I'm the president. I'm, I'm a doctor of nonsense now. Uh, yes. Give me a job. Very yeah. legit. Bern Zabel had come to Synergy Ranch in the 1970s as a young German in search of the American utopian <clears throat> communal lifestyle. Good luck finding it. Now he found himself co-supervisor of construction on a $150 million project. His co-supervisor... Laser had gone to technical school in his native Belgium, but neither of them had much background in building. So, according, uh, Zabel said, I had no experience in construction, and I was made the general manager of construction. Oh in order God. to be general manager of construction, I had to play theater. I had to play as if I knew what a construction manager were doing. The beauty of this whole institute was you were often thrown into situations where you had to swim. You had to do it. Some people, they put in the wrong position. They failed miserably. Washed like, off. Got kicked oh. off. Other people did okay. It was an experiment. It's but for me... Good, this is not an efficient way of doing no. things at all. But for me, for example, for me it was great. I never would have had the experience to be a general manager of construction for a $150 million project. Johnny was really good at raising the energy level of this whole thing. There's a saying we had, which is, take your heart, throw it out in front of you, and run to catch it. It was like you really throw yourself far out, far beyond what you were thinking you were capable to do. It was exciting. I imagine it was. I fucking imagine it was. Of course, they had to hire construction help from local contractors. Here's um, yeah. this guy, Rod Carinder. Here's, here's what, he had, what he had to say about it. These guys didn't know anything about construction or standard to codes. It was such a joke. <laughs> yeah. But beyond his professional assessment, Carinder's personal opinion was much different. He said, I come from mining, working on mines all my life. I've worked underground seven mines in five states. I've been 8,000 feet below the ground working construction as an iron worker, but I never did anything like this. Research, science, all this stuff was great. I loved it. I loved coming here and doing this. It was totally out of the ordinary. Okay, so yeah. he enjoyed doing it. Back and forth, again, always. Like, yeah, I mean, I just wondered... I mean, I guess they fucking did the thing. They did. So, yeah. so they, they did. did it. That's the thing. Like, that's the thing. They, they did the fucking thing. <laughs> At the end of the day. So even without knowing anything, they did the thing somehow. At the end of the day, I think John Allen's Bob is prick. Yeah. Uh, I Scuff don't like it. that he yells at like people. Make it. But they did the fucking thing. Yeah. So, Perhaps the biggest, most meaningful criticism that could be levied at the project so far, beyond fake it till you make it, because it's fucking America, baby, is that they, they tried to do everything at superhuman speeds. They made big mistakes along the way that would only become evident later. While John Allen did not, he did not plan on living inside the biosphere himself, he did volunteer to be the first guinea pig and stay inside a small terrarium, dubbed the Test Module. In September 1988, John Allen stayed inside the Test Module for three days, and he was fine. More than fine. Three days? That's nothing. Yeah, he was radiant. He said of the experience, I knew my body as well as my intellect and emotions that Darwin and Vernadsky were right about the power and the force of oh life. Oh my god, he's so fucking... Such I a fucking hate him, dude. Three days is literally nothing. He's in the nice like, greenhouse, like, feeding plants and writing and fucking sleeping yeah, for three like, days. Big Fuck freaking off. deal. Here's what? the thing, like, oh, like I love it, you know, like, oh, the earth will supply everything right. we need to sustain itself. Guess what? The earth destroys too. Yeah, exactly. Like, the earth destroys, it kills, death is a part of the cycle. You might have a cycle where everything in your fucking biome dies no. and nothing survives that year. Yeah. Like, that is a part of life. Happen. Yeah, that's also 
necessary for the longevity of, of things to go on. There has to be some chaos and suffering and death accounted for. Absolutely. Always. You know, in your utopian ideal, you have to account for a certain degree of unpredictability and death and chaos. Yeah. But they walked assured by the faith that things will just take care of themselves. Their environment will simply self-stabilize. Like, Life finds a way. Uh, yep. it, it do. Yep. It do. Biosphere That's not, two. not entirely wrong. Yeah. But this was fundamentally different than planet Earth in that it was not a planet, but a high-tech mystic greenhouse constructed by performance artists hastily yeah, over the right? course of a few years in the late 1980s. Uh, Tabor McCallum, a future biospherian, put it, you take all those complexities away, a large ocean, upper atmospheric reaction has totally skewed the air volume to land surface area, biomass to air volume, biomass to ocean, and every ratio you can think of. Do we have a pliable enough biota or ecosystem that you can really mess with it in a big way and still have it function? Yeah, right? Like, many scientists suspected that the ecosystem might devolve into a pile of algae. Gay Ailing said that the critics <clears throat> predicted that within six months or so, the whole biosphere would turn into a green slime. Not only would we lose the coral reef, but we would never keep the diversity of the rainforest, savanna, Ooh, and desert. Oh, I like that idea. Just green slime? Yeah, just, just everything's green slime. Slimy. Yeah. Everything else all slimy? It's I love that. Not slimy, but slime. Yes, everything I like slime. that. I want to be slime. You want to be slime? I want to be slime, girl. Okay. <laughs> I like this idea. Okay. Tell me more. We were, so we were in such unknown territory. This was so wildly out there. And people were not sure what was going to happen. No one yeah. knows what's going to happen when you're slime girl. Uh, yeah, everything slime. Yeah. <laughs> return to the slime, be the slime. I am the slime from the video. Oh, yeah. Good fucking, good fucking put. Who's sitting along on your living room? <laughs> I am the slime from the video. <laughs> Can't stop the slime, baby. Look at me go. <laughs> you yeah. can't stop the slime. You can't stop the slime. You fucking can't. Even the designers were prepared to lose um, 50% of the species they introduced into the biosphere. Again, with the full faith that the system will self-organize and find mm -hmm. a balance. It smacks of the American philosophy of new thought, summed up by the title of one of its founding works, The Power of Positive Thing. And here's a quote from uh, Alan's 1985 book, that I think uh, illustrates this. The book's entitled, Succeed. <laughs> <laughs> the proper use of thought makes the possibility for succeed to become a way of life. Given the possession of sufficient intention, attention, confidence, and intuition. God damn Succeed! <laughs> I command it. He also has a book called My Many Kisses. Like, Ooh, okay, you weirdo. You fucking creep. My Many Kisses. Yeah, like, th th so this motherfucker was like, this dude became committed to the idea that it would self-stabilize in the exact way that he right? saw it. Right? Like, what are you going like, to do? Make a mini-Earth? He frequently talked about and wrote about uncovering the laws of biospherics. Alan talked about discovering a, end quote, biospheric number that would tell the state of an entire biosphere. You want to know the number? Do you want to know the What's number? The number? I know the, the number? number. It's 69. Woo! Oh, God damn it. Oh my God. Or maybe it's 420, depending it's 420, on what... 420, It can be a bigger number. Yeah, depending on what flavor of immaturity you want to go with today. Yeah, you gotta um, put them both together. That is the magic yeah. number. Do you think... He didn't know that. No. He had no idea. If he had known that, this all could have fucking panned out. Yeah, he had didn't. No, he didn't know. Yeah, no, he... Uh, so he, he... He penned numerous papers aiming to formulate the laws of biospherics. 
Modeling the laws of thermodynamics, in one paper, he identified those laws of biospherics. One, radiant and perhaps other forms of energies passing through a biospheric system increase their free energy in the system during the passage of time. Two, the biospheric system firstly uses part of the energy momentum to increase its potential to extract free energy out of the incoming energy flux, converting ever more inorganic matter into organic life. The, okay. press, the pressure of life, as Darwin called it. Is this... Is he describing the Pais effect? Kind of. <laughs> like, he's definitely... He's getting there. He's talking about free energy mm-hmm. and shit, which I can't fault him for, because I do totally think that that's a thing. So... You've been known hmm. to talk about free energy from time to time. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Alan and Augustine set insanely ambitious targets for project completion. In 85, when the show really got going, they set the target for sealing shut the biosphere in 1988, a mere three years later, before any ground had been broken or any systems actually designed. By 88, the target was pushed back until September 1990. In October of 1990, it was pushed back six months to March 1991. Finally, it was moved to September 26, 1991. It was only four years after they broke ground for the first time. This was something that never been done before by people that were not qualified. Bern Zabel said, and quote, it, it was always hammered on that you have to go faster, faster, faster. I was asked to give the time schedule. I gave them a time schedule. Then there was a big meeting and I was almost fired over it because it was far too long and it was cut in half. And then it ended up to be exactly what I predicted it would be in the end. His wife, Kathy Dyer, justified the breakneck pace this way. And quote, John just operated that way because he got bored otherwise. So a team flew to Venezuela and rode in wooden dugout canoes up muddy jungle rivers to harvest rainforest plants. I'm quoting, quoting uh, Rebecca Ryder again. Back in Arizona, workers loaded these plants into quarantine greenhouses then moved them into another greenhouse until the biosphere soils were ready for them. The scientific consultants and ecotechnics members collected desert plants in Baja, California, and seeds for savanna grasses in South America and Australia. Still, a few hundred plant species for the wilderness remained to be chosen. The designers sat in long meetings hammering out the final food webs with the help of a team of entomology consultants. Meanwhile, far to the east, mangroves for the Biosphere 2 marsh were being collected in Florida. The more complex the projects became, the more snags they hit. The hierarchy of leadership that once seemed to be an asset John Allen brought with him from his business school days started to more and more resemble the paranoid central control systems of Stalinist Russia. Cult yeah. shit again. Well, he's trying to keep a lot of things like up and going. And and, he's like, got his, the performance of his, a lifetime. His fingers are in so yeah. many pots. Yeah. How do you fulfill all those roles? Yeah. Uh, Alan and Augustine wanted a, end quote, Caribbean style white sandy beach for the biospherians to enjoy in the ocean biome. They also wanted a wave maker at the opposite end of the ocean pool to stimulate the coral reefs. When Bob Scarborough, the soil scientist in charge of sourcing dirt for the biosphere crew, saw these plans, he told John and Margaret that the turbulence would quickly erode the loose sandy beach. Their response uh, was to stop allowing Bob Scarborough into the closed meetings. Right, okay. Yeah, they had a construction company dredge sand from the beach, deliver it to the middle of Arizona, and they built their beach. It lasted less than two weeks before it was eroded into oblivion. Well, duh, like, fucking Christ, dude. uh, Linda Lee brought up the possibility that pythium, a water mold, might present problems. She says, John Allen got... John Allen got furious. He said I was becoming negative and that it would never happen. Lee says that John told her to scream Pythium, Pythium, as though it's something that's taken hold of her psyche and won't let go. No, like, that doesn't actually that doesn't work do when anything. you're dealing with yeah. physical reality. Yeah, it doesn't do Like, anything. it might work when you're talking about your psyche or your subconscious yeah. within a group and you can, like, go do your crazy rituals and, like, clear your minds. Right. But that's not gonna work on Earth. Yeah, they, so they never discussed what to do about the potential Pythium problem and sure enough during biosphere's first mission it was a huge problem yeah uh, john john and margaret uh, said in quote would bring all of us together in the workshops and we would be communicating freely and they would have a representative recording everything in each session 
Tony Burgess said, after a time it became clear to the scientists that, end quote, the project was to be interdisciplinary, but the synthesis was to be restricted to the inner management. I seem to notice a pattern that when some system or group of people really started to get their act together and function, and it looked like they were really starting to come together as a group, John or Margaret would step in and there would be a crisis or a change or a switch in personnel. Something that centralized attention and control back to the top management. Yeah. Oh, are you doing good right now? Let me fuck you up. These people are trying their fucking best to do something <laughs> impossible, right? Oh, is everything going okay? Oh, let me just fuck you up. Yeah. Peter Warshall, the Savannah design captain, felt frustrated. Uh, as a consultant hired for his biological expertise, he was reporting to longtime Synergia members who were further into the inner circle, even though they knew far less science than he did. End quote. They had perhaps a high school level of biology. On the other hand, since we were consultants, we were supposed to listen to them. So it put us in the absolutely impossible situation of being, in a sense, their teachers and, in a sense, their servants. And Alan's verbal abuse became worse and worse. Linda Lee says... Sometimes it would just end in, Alan, in John Allen yelling at everybody. And I say that because it happens so much. You just get lambasted. You would be told that you were a stupid idiot. It got more and more that way towards the closing of the biosphere. So there was actually a kind of fear and dread going into some of these sessions. Margaret got into the habit of making uh, off-the-cuff design changes, telling the construction crew, oh, move this door a foot over here, this window a, a foot to the right, this door oh, a foot to the left. Oh, that's so annoying. Yep. Um, as D-Day approached, media attention increased proportionally. Soon hundreds of visitors were turning up every day to witness the spectacle, and soon that number would grow to a thousand visitors every day. And that wasn't the only number piling up. The cost was ballooning as well. The mangroves for Biosphere 2 had to be harvested before late summer hurricane season hit Florida. But when the chunks of marshland arrived in Arizona after being trucked cross-country, their spot in Biosphere 2 was not yet ready, so a construction crew had to build the plants their own climate-controlled greenhouse, complete with a saltwater circulation system, only to tear it down months later when the marsh moved into Biosphere 2. When a convoy of milk trucks arrived carrying Biosphere 2's seawater from the Pacific Ocean, it turned out that the truck tanks still had milk residue, so the ocean was poured out to water the road, and the trucks were sent back to California to try again. By the end, Ed Bass and Ed Bass alone paid $150 million for the construction of Biosphere 2. Just the construction. We mentioned $200 million earlier. That, like, that, those are the upkeep costs and shit, like the extra $50 million. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Ed Bass was an elusive figure, rarely seen at the Sunspace Ranch campus. He spent much of the year back home in Texas or ranching at the Australian Ecotechnic Station and flew to Arizona only for the occasional board meetings. Rarely speaking about the biosphere before or afterwards, Ed Bass did say this at the time. And quote, since I keep involved on a certain level with a lot of different projects and come and go and so forth, I've learned the most valuable thing I can do for the management is to keep my hands off from the day-to-day -day decisions. Okay. If you're not getting into something day-to-day -day every day, I could be a real detriment to the management. Uh, yeah, it's probably better off for him than he just said, like, no, I'm yeah. going to stay out but of he it. Also, I mean, maybe he should have paid a little more attention to, like... Speaking what could of, he have done? I don't know. Well, he did do something eventually. But yeah. speaking of John Allen, Ed Bass uh, had this to say. I've never found anything to contradict the notion that he is a fine human being. He's an exceptional thinker, an exceptional intellect. He can take a lot of seemingly unrelated phenomena, disparate data, and put it together in meaningful patterns. This attitude, however, would change dramatically in the coming years. As the clock ticked closer to the set date for sealing off the biosphere, things seemed to become more and more chaotic around the campus. There was probably a lot of doubting if any of it was going to work. Despite no one knowing what it working really meant, the biosphere was an impossible project in the hands of increasingly manic narcissists and overworked, underqualified dreamers. If they actually completed it, it would be a miracle. You know what? They yeah. fucking did it. They did do they it. They fucking did it. On September 26, 1991, eight people sealed themselves inside the biosphere, and it would be two years before they left. And that's what we'll cover next week when we finish the strange, tragic story of Biosphere 2. Hell yeah. 
Woo! I have read so many pages about this shit. Oh my god. Whoa, is your brain fried yet? My brain is so fucking fried. And (laughs) dear friends, I'm sure your brain is fried too, but thank you for coming along on this journey with us. Yes, thank you so much for listening, my dear friends and Um, listeners. And we will be back next week. Uh, We're going to find out how Mission 1 goes. We're going to find out how Steve Bannon plays into all this. We're going to find out how Ed Bass finally like grows a spine (laughs) and uh, what happens to Biosphere. Please remember to subscribe and review our podcast wherever we are, wherever you found us. Give us a good word. Throw in a good word. And thanks for listening. Hell yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. Be well. Peace out.